Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, welcome to a slightly soggy, little bit wet, rainy day. Uh, as many of you know, last weekend I was down visiting my family in Melbourne, who I haven't seen for three years, and it wasn't quite so wet, and it wasn't quite so soggy, but you know what, it is so great to be back in church, and, and when I was down there with my family, you know, we spent a lot of time talking and reminiscing about the past, and talking about our families, and, and my siblings' families, and my mom, and everything else, and, and, and it has struck me that every family has traditions and values. You know, one of the values that our family holds is that we love to eat good food. And so we ate lots of great food, and I drank lots of amazing coffee, and I've got lots of photos of great food and amazing coffee. In fact, my mum and I went to this restaurant, and, and there was a little robot that came out and delivered some food. It was the most fascinating thing, and I took a little video of it, and my kids are like, Dad, that's so cool. And, so, and, 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 and it just struck me, as I was sitting with all my family, every family has traditions and values. I remember growing up, we would always, Christmas time, go to my grandparents' house, and for some reason reason, grandma gave us every year, you would know two things would happen. One, our presents would always have the price tag attached to them. Years later, I'm like, mom, what was that about? She goes, Nana, our grandma wanted you to know how much she loved you. And I remember occasionally thinking, well, clearly she didn't love me that much that year. But you know, but the other thing that I knew every single year is that we would get the, the bags full of colored popcorn. Who's ever had or seen that, you know, the bags full of colored popcorn? Who's ever eaten Colored popcorn. Who's with me who agrees that it's gross? Like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's got like a weird outside. It's like a little bit hard. And, and every year we would be like, and we would have to, mum and dad would sit us down and go, you need to act surprised. And so every year we would open the same bag and we knew what the same thing was inside. And we'd pull out a bag of colored popcorn and we'd go, oh, look at that. And we'd be like, oh. And then we'd try and trade with some other sibling, except they got it too. So, you know, it just didn't work. Every family has values and traditions. At Gateway, as a church, we are no different. We've got values and traditions that we love and that we, that we want to impart because they're things that are important to God. And if they're therefore important to God, they've got to be important to us. You know, last week we heard a senior pastor, Jace, talk about um, valuing the ones. You know, I love, I love being part of a church that values the ones. I love being part of a church that says every person who walks through those doors, who comes through those doors is welcome. But today we're going to continue the series and we're going to look at another one of our values. And it's the value of we hunger for the presence of God. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you've got your Bibles, it's going to be on the screens behind me. But if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I normally do that, but it's still good. Uh, it's on page 410, if it's helpful in my book, in my Bible. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to open 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But let me give you a little bit of a history of what's going on and the story where we find ourselves in history. But what was happening leading up to this moment. God had been uh, looking for people who would seek him with all of his heart. You know, up until, I mean, the reality is he still is looking for that today. He's always has been and he always will be looking for people whose hearts are sold out for him. One of the words that we like to use here is that we're all in. 
And in 2 Chronicles, we find a story about a father and son. It's, it's King Ahaz and his son. Um, and, and, and both of them had the same struggle that we have still today. See, King Ahaz had this struggle, and it was a pattern where he would seek God with all of his heart, but then he would become comfortable, complacent, and half-hearted. And so uh, King Azza, um was a, was a good man. He was a godly man, and he followed God, and he, and he worked hard at doing good for other people around him. But he found himself oftentimes in place where he got comfortable in his circumstances and he got confident in himself and he acted independently of what God wanted for him and for the, for the nation of Israel. And so every now and then God would get cranky with him, God would get angry with him and call him to repentance and call him back to him because of his half-heartedness. But then God comes to King Ahaz and he reminds him of a promise that he made to him and all of us. And it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And it says this, For the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to I reckon there's some timely words for all of us today, aren't they? There's still a timely reminder for us today. And Jehoshaphat was Ahaz's son. And Ahaz was, was a king over, the, over, over Judah. And, and, and he was also a good man and he loved God and he worked hard for the good of others. But he fell into the same trap as his dad. And he fell into the same trap that so many of us fall into. And it's the the trap where he's, where he's failed to seek God and he's trusted in his own strength and his people are now under attack and there's a nation, there's a couple of nations who have ganged up together and they're about to invade his nation. And this is where we pick up the story. So this is kind of a little bit of the history of what's been going on and this is where we pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 and it goes like this. And after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Menuhites came to wage war on Jehoshaphat. Some of the people came to told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom on the other side of the Dead Sea. And they are already at, at Hadez Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judea, sorry, Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. Now, the, the verse 3 in, in, the NI, in the NLT translation translates it like this. It said, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and he begged the Lord for guidance. So what I find so interesting here is, and so comforting is that, is that Jehoshaphat is alarmed, he's worried, he's anxious, he's terrified at the news that there's three nations gang together and they're just around the corner and they've come to kill and annihilate everyone and take over their nation. And Jehoshaphat here is caught off guard. I mean, he wasn't ready. He's still reeling at the, the, the wars and the battles and the wages of that happened up, up recently, just recently up against them. And as I was preparing this week and as I was getting ready this morning, I felt like there's someone here, there's some people here this morning, and maybe you feel like Jehoshaphat. 
you're still recovering over this last season of whatever it's been for you. The last season of the challenges that you've faced and you're still reeling and maybe you've been, 2022 has caught you off guard. You weren't ready. You thought it was going to go one way and yet it's continued to go a different way. And you're alarmed. And if you're alarmed this morning, then God's got a word for all of us. See, here we find this vast army. You know, it says that, you know, the word gets brought to Jehoshaphat and said, you know what, I want you to know the armies are just around the corner. And Jehoshaphat and his whole nation are terrified. They're so worried about what is about to happen. But they beg God for guidance. And then verse 5 goes on to say this. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, everyone freak out, lose your minds and let's run away. No, actually, it's not what it says. It says this, the Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over kingdoms and over nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. Our God did not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people. Sorry, I just lost my spot. Uh, your people Israel, and give them it forever. The descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it and have built it in a sanctuary in your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether by sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out in our distress. And you will hear us. And you will save us. Now you've got to remember the context and the environment that Jehoshaphat found himself in. You know, here we have all of these invading armies, three nations gathered together, all of their weaponry, all of their armies, and they're all about to take out Judah and Israel. And everyone is fearful. Everyone is terrified. Switch on the news today and it sounds a little bit similar to what we find ourselves over in the Ukraine at the moment. They're in the middle of fear and terror, uncertainty, and everyone is anxious. They're anxious about what's going to happen in the future. But notice what, notice what Jehoshaphat says. He calls them to remember what God has done. See, I want to encourage you this morning with one thought. The best piece of weaponry you have in your arsenal is your testimony. See, oftentimes when we face challenges and situations and there's uncertainty about the future, one of the things that I often do is I call to mind what God has done. Now, what did, Je what did Jehoshaphat do? He called to mind what God had done. See, when I think about my testimony, in fact, when I think about the testimony of so many people that make up our campus, I see that God has been faithful. I've seen what God has done. And if he can do it then, he can do it again. 
And so I sit there and I go, you know, one of the, one of the biggest useful pieces of information, the tools that we've got is, is our testimony because we remember what God has done and we remember his faithfulness. But then verse 12 goes on to say, For we have no power to face this vast enemy that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, Jehoshaphat stands in front of everyone. He stands before everyone in his nation. He's uncertain how it's all going to pan out. But he calls his nation to fast and pray and to cry out to God. And I find it so intriguing what his cry is. God, we don't know what to do. Church, how many times are we not completely honest with God? How many times are we not completely honest even in church? I mean, so easy, it's so easy to come into church, isn't it? And, and kind of put our church mask on. And, 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 and someone after church over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea says, hey, how you been? How's your week? And we say, you know, God's good. It's been great. It's fantastic. Amen. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And then we kind of walk off and everyone stands confused. You know, how many times do we, do we put on masks even with God? But then when we need God the most and we feel like God hasn't come through, we turn to God and say, God, where were we when you, where were you when I needed you most? And we look at the church and say, God, where were they when we needed most? And yet we're not actually honest with God about where we're at. We're not honest with each other how we're actually traveling. See, what I find so interesting is here is a king standing before everyone in his nation, and he admits something so profound. I have no idea what to do. But my eyes are on you. In times of uncertainty, with everything going on in our world, Where have our eyes been? Where's our attention and our focus been? You know, when we've we've had no idea what the future's going to hold, and we've had no idea what it's going to look like and how it's all going to pan out, where has our eyes been? See, I love the fact that as a church, I love the fact that one of our values is that we value the ones. (laughs) I love it. I so deeply love the fact that as a campus, when we say everyone who comes through the doors is welcome, we actually mean it. When we actually say, hey, you know what, you are welcome, broken and all, messed up and all, when you don't got to have it together. You know, I love the fact that we say, you know what, it's okay not to be okay. Just don't stay that way. You know, it's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to question things. It's okay to worry about things. It's okay to blow it. It's okay to get things wrong when you try to get things right. But I love the fact that we keep saying we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So the nation of Israel fasted and they prayed. And they fasted and they prayed. And they fasted 
And they prayed. And verse 13 and onward says this. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and the little ones, stood there before the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of a lot of different people, and he stood in the assembly. And he said these words, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. See, if it had been me, in that, in that, I, you know, if I had been Jehaziel, like, this is the reason why I'm not Jehaziel. Like, if it had been Jehaziel, I would have gone, the battle's not yours! And then I would have, like, left an awkward pause. Because everyone would have gone, Whoa! like, everyone would have sucked there corporately, and everyone would have lost their minds and started freaking out. Like, just, just to kind of be funny, you know? Like, and, but, but, but I love the fact, you know, he goes, the battle is not yours, but God's. I love the fact that God's got a big butt. Clarify it, one T, but. I love the fact that God always has a but for our lives. And here is, here is a guy who was filled with the Spirit, stands in front of a king, stands in front of a whole nation, and declares that, you know what, in the midst of worry, in the midst of everyone starting to lose their mind, in the, there's a whole lot of uncertainty, there's a whole lot of fear and worry. He declares in front of everyone. He says, the battle's not yours. It's God's. See, they thought it was hopeless. And maybe this morning, you feel it's hopeless. You know, maybe this morning there's some challenges in marriages. Maybe there's some kids who have walked away from their faith. Maybe there's some situations at work. Maybe there's a hidden sin that you keep trying to kick its butt, but it keeps trying to kick your butt. That, that, that this morning you feel like it's hopeless. But just like Jehaziel declared over invading armies that are about to wipe out a nation, the battle's not yours, but God's. This morning, God wants to remind you in the situation you're facing that the battle's not yours, but God's. See, what you thought was a full stop, God's using as a comma. What you thought was a set back, God wants to use as a set up. That God wants to remind us this morning that there is hope. And it's not found in how hard you try, or what self-help book we find, or what counselor or psychologist we go to. Now, all of those things are good. Don't get me wrong. They're all good. But it's not about how hard we work, how hard we try, how hard we try and get it all done in our strength. But it's found in a person. The person who did it all. The person who has still done it all. You know, the, the hope we found isn't found in anything we can do or how hard we try. But it's found in the name of Jesus. The story continues in verse 20. 
And it says this, early the next morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets and you will be successful. Now, I want us to notice something this morning. Eight verses ago, Jehoshaphat is calling and yelling at, at everyone saying, you know what, we have no power to save, to, 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 we have no power to face this vast army. Eight, eight verses later, he's declaring in front of everyone that we, if we have faith in God, we are going to be successful. You notice the difference? You know, one minute he's losing his mind. It's like, we have no idea and I have no idea and I don't know how we're going to do this. And next minute, eight verses later, he's standing in front of his army going, hey, God's got it, everyone. Take a chill pill. We'll be fine. You know, it's kind of, in my mind, it's kind of like, you know, if you're, who's seen Braveheart? Seen Braveheart? Awesome. There's a few of us. You know that moment where William Wallace is standing in front of, his, in front of the army and he's got the, the blue and the, I think it's white, and then the blue on his face and he's riding his horse and he's kind of riding back and, far, back and forth. Now, it's just, I'm just going to, please forgive my bad Scottish accent just for a moment, all right? And he, and, he, and he makes this little statement. He goes, would you be willing to trade a day in the light from this day to, hold on, let me say it again. Yeah, do you like my accent? It's bad, all right? Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. You know, and he goes, freedom, and everyone does, yeah, everyone does that. You know, in me, this is that moment for King Jehoshaphat. You know, he's standing there going, guys, you've got to understand. You know, will you trade one day for, for today when we will see God be successful? And all we've got to do is we've got to trust him because God's got a big but. Because then this happens in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appoints men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Have you ever noticed that God gets us to do some strange things at times? Have you ever noticed there's moments in your life God says do this and you go, that makes total and utter no sense. You know, there's moments where, where God calls you to do things and it doesn't always in our human finite minds make any sense whatsoever. I mean, this is one of those moments, okay? You've got, you got an army that, that is probably three, four, ten times the size of your army, and instead of sending out, you know, your, your Navy SEAL best, you know, squadron or whatever at the start, you're going to send out the worship team. I mean, I don't know if that means he loves his worship team or he doesn't. But anyway, regardless. And, and so Max is out the front with a team, and, and he's out there with one job. One job, and that's to sing these words. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, what do they not love? They love the other people, and the other people don't love them back. But what does it say about where their focus is? See, it's so countercultural to what we do today. See, today we would be strategizing and scheming, going, what are we going to do? 
okay, what are we going to do? Okay, so, so Max is going to do this thing without a guitar and without singing. You know, we're, and we, like, we're going we're to strategize how to try and figure all these things out. And it's about me, my, and I. But somewhere between verses 8, 12, and 20, Jehoshaphat realizes that it's not about him, but it's all about God. And so Jehoshaphat prays a prayer and he says, God, I need you to do what only you can do. See, he realizes that winning that day is not about how hard we fight, how big our army is, how well we go into battle, how thick our armor and how long our spears and how big our shields are. We're not big enough to win this war. See, I wonder if there was a moment for, for King Jehoshaphat. I wonder if there was a moment then in the, that he remembers that not that long ago, there was a promise made by God to him. And it said, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so he pursued the presence of God and he called a fast and a prayer and he declared, I have no idea but God. So this morning I've got one thought for us. If God really is the God who answers prayers, what prayers are we asking him to answer? See, I don't know about you, but in my experience, I'm going to suggest there's probably a few more than just me that do this. When we pray, we, 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 we ask too small and we expect too little. Parenting has taught me one thing, that oftentimes my kids are smarter than me. And let me illustrate it. Christmas or birthday or whatever, you know, some special event time, we come to our kids and say, okay, kids, what do you want for your birthday? And, and you know what I find so interesting? What I find so interesting is my kids think price is irrelevant, nothing is out of bound, and nothing is too big. And so they come with me with a big, long list of here's all of the, here's all the things that we would like to, you know, alphabetically, you know, in order. And, you know, they come with this big, long list of things that they would love to have for their birthday. And I've discovered as they get older, the list gets longer and more expensive. See, kids are often smarter than I am because they trust, they ask, and they expect. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about the faith that he wants. And he's sitting with a bunch of kids and he said, I want you to have faith like a child. He's not saying I want you to have childish faith, but I want you to have faith like a child that trusts, that asks, and that expects. So that's my first thought. And I want to encourage us with one big prayer. See, Jehoshaphat had a big, a big prayer. And it was a prayer that he couldn't achieve himself. And it was a prayer that he couldn't achieve, but only God could do. And he had faith that trusted, asked, and expected. I want to ask this morning, what's your big prayer? For some of you, as I say that, 
you get excited about that pig prayer. For some of you, you get doubtful whether God will answer. Why is it that we often lack faith? See, Jehoshaphat's faith wasn't built in the middle of a battle. His faith was built as he looked back on God's faithfulness and he looked back on the numerous times where he built his faith on his knees. Jehoshaphat cried out to God and he prayed consistently. Craig Rochelle uh, said this little statement the other day. He said, it's not what we do occasionally that makes a difference. It's what we do consistently. See, this morning, I want to encourage us to pray a big prayer. God, I need you to do what only you can do. Fill in the rest of that sentence. See, God, I want you to do what only you can do. See, and I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor and it's what I should say on a stage. I'm not saying it because I've, you know, we read Jehoshaphat and we see what God does numerous time and time and time and over and over again. But I can say I've seen God do the impossible because I've seen God do the impossible in my life. You know, many of you know uh, I've got an older brother, Phil. And while we're in Melbourne, Phil and I hung out a bunch. And yesterday, we're on the phone back and forth to each other. And my, my brother is eight years older than me. And at 17 years old, I, I was talking with him yesterday about his testimony. He gave me permission to share a bunch of it. But 17 years old, he walked away from his faith and he left home. And we didn't know mostly where he was for a long period of time. And as I was talking with the brother, I said, Phil, what, what got you to that point? He said, Dave, what got me to that point was I got involved in the wrong crowd. I wanted the exciting things of what the world had to offer. And I was tired of hypocrite Christians. And I figured that the world didn't need another hypocrite Christian because I was worse than probably most of them. And so I left home and I left my faith behind. I said, Phil, what was it like when you... You walked away from everything that we grew up in a family where we went to church and we loved Jesus. And you walked away from all of those things. What was it like when that happened? He said, mate, to be honest, it was fun. It was exciting. It was fulfilling for a time. It answered for a time some of my questions. It involved me getting into everything and anything. I found a beautiful wife who I married. I found a great life. We bought a big home. And we had lots of stuff. And then he said, he paused on the other end of the phone. He said, but Dave, what I began to realize is that nothing of it mattered. I said, Phil, what was it that, that changed things for you? You see, I, when I became a Christian at 18 years old, I began praying a really big prayer. God... I need you to do what only you can do, and that's for my brother to come back to you. Because it seemed impossible. Have you ever those moments where you pray big prayer, and it's like the harder you try to pray it, the worse it seems to get. Like that was Phil. Like I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a brand new Christian. I'm on my knees God, 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 God. And like the more I prayed, the worse he seemed to get, and the further away he seemed to get. And so I gave up numerous times in an attempt to maybe that will help the situation. Well, that didn't help the situation either. 
that I began praying that big prayer. God, I need you to do what only you can do. And I said, Phil, what was that moment? He goes, Dave, it was in 2008 when our dad suddenly died. The back end of a missions trip in the Philippines. And he, and he said, Dave, what, 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 what changed everything was up until that point, I was living a life for me, 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 and me. And the only most important person was me. The second most important person was me. And it was all about me. I said, but Phil, what got you to that point? And he goes, what blew me away was the fact that here I am with a focus on me, going to another country where our dad has just passed away, and everyone around us was saying, how can we help? And they were going over and above. They were valuing the one, and the one was him. And in a world where they have so little, they were like, how can we help? What can we give? How can we assist? He goes, Dave, what blew my mind is that I had spent such a large portion of my life focused on me and in the middle of a moment of need. But actually, it's also who they were. He found a bunch of Christians who loved him for him and who went out of their way to show him love and help him and help said, I was blown away the way that people bent over backwards to help. You could see that in their hearts was a desire to live and to serve others, not just themselves. And he said, Dave, you, you remember that night because you were there that night when lying in our little room that night, just a couple of nights after my, our dad had just passed away, I gave the worst altar call of all time because I was hurting and I was just a little bit annoyed at my brother. And I'm pretty sure it went something like this. Phil, mom and dad loved Jesus with all of their heart and gave everything for him. What are you, and I probably used some non-church language at that point. What are you doing with God? He goes, yeah. And what's yeah? He goes, yeah. Now it was dark. And there may have been a few tears. I go, Phil, what does yeah mean? He goes, yeah. Should do something about that. Huh. See, church, I'm not saying it was all me, because it wasn't. But I prayed a prayer that said, God, I need you to do what only you can do. And it seemed so impossible. It seemed so ridiculously, outrageously never going to happen. But then God answered team if you want to come up see I'd been praying a prayer God I need you to do what only you can do and a nation and a king began to pray that prayer also and this is what happens in verse 22 onwards it says this as they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the man that the men of Ammon Moab and Mount Seir and there who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Amorites and the Moabites rose up, from the men, rose up against the men of Mount Sien and destroyed them and annihilated them. And after this had finished, they, they slaughtered, uh, sorry, after they finished slaughtering the men of Sier, they helped destroy one another. Now, quick question. 
what did Israel do? Like, up until this point, you know, so, so they've just won the battle. What did Israel do? They did nothing. In fact, they weren't even there. All they did is they got on their knees and they prayed and they fasted and they said, God, we need you to do what only you can do. So they prayed and they fasted and they sought after the presence of God and they worshipped and they worshipped God for who He was. They worshipped God for what He'd done. And they, they fixed their eyes on Him. And God made a way. He made a way where it seemed impossible. He made a way in a situation that seemed like there was no way out. See, as I, as I look at our church, I see lots of good and godly people who follow God's Word and work hard to serve others. But we have a tendency, me included, double hands up on this one. We have a tendency to, to get comfortable in our surroundings, get half-hearted in our prayer and our worship. But I just believe that God is calling us back into a new season, back into a new season of dependence on Him in prayer. That that He wants to do something new in our worship, bring a new sense of joy in our worship, a new sense of, of, of passion in our worship, a new sense of surrender where we just say, God, we need You to do what only You can do. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.